Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and on our panel today, we have Josh Adams. Hey, everybody. And Eric Ostrich. Howdy. And today, we are going to be interviewing Eric because as it is uh, from time to time, we want to catch up with people who are doing things in the uh, open source Elixir area community. And even though he's a panelist and, and on our podcast, normally we don't get to talk about what he's doing. So we want to take a little bit of time today and just kind of get caught up on what he's been working on. And so Eric, maybe you could first give us a little bit of background on what you do outside of this podcast. Sure. So um, I guess the we'll start with, so I work at SmartLogic. We're a, a web and mobile consultancy. So I do a lot of Elixir, or Elixir development there. And most recently, deployment and all that fun stuff. Um, and outside of outside of work, I, I would work on a project called Grapevine. It's a mud community site. You can think of it like Steam, but for text games, more specifically multiplayer text games. Um, so it's got like a listing. You can find new games. You can play games on the site. There's all kinds of cool features that I'm sure we'll get into and how that works uh, coming shortly. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So in case people aren't familiar with, uh, like we've had you on the podcast some time, long time ago, and you also came on as a guest to our Utah Elixir meetup uh, doing a remote uh, session. And you're talking about your game X Venture, which is a online MUD. And so maybe you could just kind of give a, a brief description of what a MUD is in case people aren't familiar with that term. Yeah, so a MUD is a um, multi-user dungeon. So dungeon in this case is a specific program called dungeon from like 1978 <laughs> that was a text adventure that you just explored a dungeon right so this was a multi-user version of that so it's a, a game where you connect via telnet historically and still there's some new things happening where you can play through your web browser so that uses web sockets and all that and like modern technology <laughs> so it's you you connect to the game you just get some like you'll get a welcome prompt and then you just start typing right you log in through a telnet session and you just kind of get text and it describes the world you're in you can see it's it's world of warcraft everquest um, except it's text-based only. Like these came before any of the graphical versions. Some of the early uh, MMOs were actually called graphical muds, which is kind of interesting. So you can you can see like this was the the foundation for kind of all multiplayer like RPG things. So yeah, so it's 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 a, a, an RPG. So you have a character. You can role play as that character. Some of them you don't like. It's just kind of hack and slash. You just wander around and just be a murder hobo like 
D and D typical sessions. Um, so yeah, it's a, I don't know, kind of any, any kind of t- typical RPG, you can find all kinds of variations from like hack and slash to, uh, there's a style called mush that is like almost exclusively just like typing out paragraphs of text, like kind of detailing what your character is doing and like writing a collaborative book of sorts. It's like there's that style. There's um, other styles that are, are, are kind of anywhere in between. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. So then with uh, X Venture, I know that has spawned out a number of other projects and one of those was Grapevine. And so one of the things we want to talk about today was Grapevine specifically and just kind of getting an update on uh, what you're doing. I know you've uh, been having some Hawk, uh, Hacktoberfest uh, contributions, which it will be over by the time this, is, this uh, podcast goes live. But uh, yeah, so we just love to hear a little bit more about kind of Grapevine, the architecture of it. And one of the things I think is relevant, even if someone out there is listening to this and they are like, well, I don't want to make a MUD. I don't necessarily want to play a MUD. What's still very applicable is that this is open source and it is like a production system. It is in use in production with users. So it, it gives you an opportunity to explore it, to see how it's working. So we can talk about some of the features, some of the different things people might find in there. Uh, and then also uh, just kind of see that the relevance is still there. So why don't you start with kind of like you said, you, you still live stream uh, occasionally. So why don't you give people a little introduction to what they might see there? Yeah. So uh, I do a live stream over on, we have a Twitch at, it's Twitch TV, Smart Logic TV. So that's our, our uh, Smart Logic live stream on Mondays at noon, roughly a few times a month. I don't know. It's kind of whenever we have a specific topic. So the last few weeks I've been doing like coding a rate limiter. So I've been, the Grapevine has a cross game chat um, as part of it. And so I wanted to make sure that like, you can't register a game, uh, connect to it, like, and then just like spam the crap out of, <laughs> uh, of like a channel, right? So this now, um, so you, like the live streams, and these are on YouTube as well, um, so you can watch the archives of it. Um, so you can watch me, like it's all open source, so I'm not afraid of of showing stuff, right? So it's just starting from like a uh an idea and i typically don't plan out much like beforehand so you'll get to watch all the fumbles and (laughs) and like whatever you would do normally in development and and just kind of see where things go and 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 whatnot so is that i I was curious about that like the idea of how much preparation goes into one of these ahead of time and just like is that embarrassing we're like ah crap you know i'm not sure what to do here and then are you just kind of like exploring like well let me think i could do this i could do that just talking it through uh, just, uh, what's that like for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it hasn't been too bad, uh, in terms of like flubs or whatever. Like, I think it's Im- important to, to show that like everyone's human, right? So like <laughs> people make mistakes. So it's, it's, it hasn't been too embarrassing, I think, to, to make them in front of people. So I think that's always good to see. Um, and I, I typically do have a, I, I spend, I don't know, the f- half an hour to 15 minutes beforehand, uh, kind of thinking of what I want to do and like how it will go. So I have a, I have a pretty general idea of where things will trend for that hour. So it's not, it's not like I'm just starting it up and, and like going completely blind, but yeah, like I, I haven't like pre done everything beforehand, I guess is, is the big thing. Um, so I, I get to show like a lot of it's TDD stuff. Um, so 
like I'll start with like, all right, I want to do a rate limiter. Let's write a test that fails and, and see where that goes and whatnot. Um, yeah, do, it's fun. It's fun to watch that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I was actually concerned. We, we, we like track our metrics a bit and like I started doing TDD and it was like mostly a terminal that one time and it was like lower viewership. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, <laughs> so it's good to hear that, that people do, uh, want to see, uh, TDD in action. So maybe now would be a good time to talk about some of the features that people would find in Grapevine, one of which I know it's multi-node. So maybe we could just kind of start talking there. Like, what are some of the things that, you know, I know when people come to Elixir, uh, after they start get over the syntax hurdle of just figuring out how do I even code and read Elixir, once they get past that, then a lot of people are like, I want to understand OTP. You know, like what kinds of OTP style concepts might they find in Grapevine? I guess all the, the big ones, right? So we have multi-node. Uh, I use ETS fairly heavily. Um, there's a lot of, I've got some globally named cert gen servers, which is sort of an issue, but it works. So whatever. <laughs> so I guess I'll start with like how this is, how the multi-node is set up, right? So I have a single, it's multi-node, but it's single physical node, I guess. Um, so I have a single VPS that runs two separate Erlang nodes. One is the main web server, which contains the website and the web socket. Um, and the second thing, the second node is just for telnet connections. So the main reason I wanted to pull that off is that I could redeploy the website without killing people's web like game sessions because uh, telnet is not stateful, right? So you can't reconnect. So as soon as it drops, if the game doesn't support you signing into your character again uh, and picking up where you left off, then you're just, you're like, sorry, <laughs> can't help you. Um, so, but you're saying then that because the, the web side, the Phoenix side does have the ability then to uh, redeploy that node, it drops the connections and because of their JavaScript on their client side in the browser, it's like reconnecting back up to their same, uh, same session. So they're not losing their connection, right? Yeah, so they're, they're only losing the WebSocket to me. Um, so when I deploy, anyone who's connected will see a, a system, a big red system message that says like, system, uh, we're redeploying, you will lose connection for a few seconds, but you're like, don't worry, nothing's going away otherwise. Um, so that that's kind of the some magic OTP stuff going on. And you I can badly want that to be the actual verbatim text of the message, by the way. Uh, I can tell you what the verbatim text is. <laughs> oh, um, if you're if you're curious, okay. So it's it's not so fun. It just says it's restarting, but <laughs> um, uh, so poor poor request. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So it it uh your your connection to the website drops because the Phoenix layer dropped, but because it's it's using just distribution, uh, the Telnet node has a, its own process that's actually connected to the game server that will keep trying to send messages to a dead PID uh, and it just kind of falls into the void because it's just a cast, so who cares? The server will restart and pop back up and uh, your session will reconnect because PhoenixJS is just trying to like reconnect and will eventually get it. And when it reconnects, it joins the session. Uh, it, it sees that the session already exists, so it tries to like create or find one that exists already. Uh, it joins up, it takes over that process and then just picks up as if nothing happened. Um, you get kind of spammed with like the back history of like the last 10 lines and it just keeps going, which is really cool to see in action. If you want to see what it looks like without 
me actually doing a deploy, like if, if you're sitting at home and want to see this, um, you can start playing any game that has the web client enabled and then just refresh the page. <laughs> the basic concepts are all the same. You'll lose your WebSocket connection, uh, but then you'll immediately get a new one because you've reloaded the page. You'll get the last 10 lines and just keep going as if nothing happened. That is cool. I love the resilience that we can have with Elixir and, and, and especially with Phoenix channels and everything that's already built in and available to us. So how are you deploying this? You, you mentioned it's a VPS, uh, like DigitalOcean or something, presumably. But like, so how is it you're actually deploying this? Yeah, so it's, it's on DigitalOcean. Uh, I went and sprang for the uh, dedicated cores instance. So it's got two dedicated cores. So it was like, like let's have some fun. I've got Erlang. Uh, I can use these cores to their fullest, right? <laughs> uh, so it's got two dedicated cores. Uh, totally does not need it, but it's fun. So whatever. And then the rest of it, I went pretty old school. Uh, well, it's like half, half new, half old. So I use Docker to build the release, uh, which we'll probably talk about in a bit. Um, so once I get a release out of it, I just have the tarball of a, it's Elixir 1.9 releases. So I get that out of it. Uh, and then I have a bash script <laughs> that just SCPs it up. And I have like, uh, the rest of that command is, is a bunch of SSH with like single commands. <laughs> so it, it stops the system D service. It, Sorry, first it tells everything that's about to restart. So that tells the web client sets up, like puts that message in. All of the people connected to the game chat will get a, an event that says, hey, this is about to go down. Maybe wait 15 seconds before you come back or whatever. And then I stop the service, migrate, start the service. Um, so it's, if you happen to be on Grapevine, there's a, and I'm deploying, you might see it just says Grapevine's down. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's not using any load balancer or anything like that. That's primarily because that costs money. Uh, and I'm, I'm willing to splurge on a, 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 a fun single VPC or v, VPS rather, uh, but not multiple and a load balancer and like all the cool stuff that makes this like extra resilient and have no downtime without doing like hot code upgrades. Elixir casts create screencasts that cover a wide range of Elixir and Phoenix topics. Each episode tackles a specific problem or explores a new library, demystifying it in a language that's easy to understand. Whether you are just starting with Elixir or are using it professionally with 100 plus episodes, there's something for you. Go check them out at elixircasts.io. So it's, it's pretty low tech, I guess that way, as far as, as that's concerned. Um, so you'll see, uh, it's like three to five seconds of downtime whenever I deploy. Um, mostly because it, it has to tear when you stop the application through system D and I think just in general, cause it just does like a, uh, or not, it does like a control, the, whatever the kill signal is that doesn't terminate it. And then Erlang will, will rewind all of your, uh, supervision tree. And that takes a little bit to tear down. So there's, there's kind of that. And then migrating has to start up a new instance. Uh, and do its migration. Most of the time it doesn't do anything. So I, I guess I could make my bash script be smarter and only do it when I would need to. And then starting takes a little bit as it replays the reverse way, the correct way, the supervision tree. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit of downtime. You can, I could architect it so it doesn't have that, but this is a side project, so I'll, I'll deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then that goes for the Telnet node as well. I have a different set of bash scripts mostly copy pasted, but going to a different folder. Um, and yeah, that uses 
Docker and Elixir 1.9 generates a release, pushes it up, and then starts it. There's a I use libcluster to join them using the EPMD strategy. So it, it just knows that there's a, a grapevine at localhost and a, a telnet at localhost. And the one specific weirdness that I had to do, I don't know if I actually need to do it or not, but if you have, if you have two Erlang nodes um, on the same host, they will both try and start EPMD by themselves. Like it's just kind of an automatic thing when it starts. So I had a really weird issue that whichever one started first, the second one could connect to it. But if you restarted the first one, that that couldn't connect to the second one. So you could only deploy in a weird, I don't know, it was, it was really strange. Until I, like, I just copied EPMD, the binary, out of the release, put it in like the home folder and made a systemd service start it. And then all of my other ones was just like, I need that thing to start. So running it separately fixed all of the issues. I have a blog post about that if anyone's curious. Um, yeah, that was, that was the only audit for deployment of local multi-nodes, I guess. That, that's also just generally a thing. Uh, I, I did a project with some Gentoo folks, and they were very unhappy until they realized they could run EPMD as a, as a separate unit that's dependent on, uh, not that it was systemd, but um, yeah, because having kind of two processes maybe sometimes fall under a unit is weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it was not obvious that this was the thing you should do either. <laughs> um, since pretty much everything we've done so far, if we do multi-node, it's been on a separate like VM. So that's just not been an issue. So if, if you're running into this, this, I, the blog post is linked. So uh, hopefully this will save some trouble. <laughs> I remember when I was first kind of exploring and playing with EPMD and trying to see what I could do. Uh, part of that was seeing that I, I included the link to it in the show notes. It's the official Erlang documentation for it. And it has the EPMD process. It's an application, a system application. Like I think I believe it's written in C. It has a bunch of flags and options that you can say, you know, bind to this port. Uh, so you can have multiples running on the same server with different ports and different things like that. And you can send messages to it. Uh, to say kill or stop and things like that. So I think it's interesting. One of the things I, I think I heard you say is that you're using Docker to build your release, but then you're deploying not using Docker. You're just kind of taking what was built of the release out of Docker and then using that to deploy. So I'm just curious as to maybe you could talk for a moment about like your choice to not use Docker on the server and just, you know, uh, kind of your background there, your thinking. Uh, yeah, so the... I guess the legacy of my deployment has been um, I was, my desktop is Linux, my server is Linux, so I didn't have to, so originally I just had a release script that generated it like on my desktop outside of everything and then I would deploy that. That worked great until Arch updated to <laughs> OpenSSL like 1.3 and my server had 1.2 and that just completely blew up. So uh, I went with Docker release to have it build inside of Ubuntu so that it was the same like library setup as well as architecture going forward. This, I guess it will also, would also let me build on my laptop, which is a Mac. Uh, don't ever do that because I've got a desktop that's more powerful. So I'd just use that. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I did not go with Docker on the server because it was already set up to be native. I guess if we call it native deployment. So it's just easier to keep with that and Kubernetes and, and all that was uh, just a little more than I was willing to invest 
time-wise, I, I spent a week and Grapevine actually does work inside of Kubernetes. I have a branch that's probably woefully out of date at this point, but um, it does work, but I've just never wanted to spin up the cluster because uh, that'll go past my my like $40 budget. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was primarily the reason. Uh, yeah, so I guess I can go into a bit more about what that Docker file actually does. Well, one of the things I, I just wanted to make sure uh, that you, dear listener, kind of catch here is that, because I know in, in our uh, Utah Elixir meetup, we've been talking about um, in an upcoming message or, or presentation is going to be about deployment. So I know deployment is one of those big questions that people have uh, about, you know, I, okay, I've written something and I want to actually put it somewhere other than my own computer. And so I just wanted people to make sure they catch that what you're talking about here is like, there's lots of different ways to deploy. You don't have to deploy to Kubernetes. You don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to deploy using the Docker container. You know, like there's all lots of different ways. You don't even have to build a release to to deploy. Uh, so just want to make sure that you know there are some best practices when you're talking about like you know enterprise and this is my business and you know there's there's best practices you might want to follow there. But when you just want to get something up and going, you don't need to do all that. And so, and, and yeah, so that's all super true. And it's an awesome thing about Erlang. Uh, also, once you do sort of start going down the release path, the tooling uh, is just incredibly robust. I mean, it's very mature. So uh, I used to be like way back in the day was very concerned about deploying and it's actually a really, really good story in Erlang. Yeah, I actually uh, started a different side project last night and uh, uh, I got it set up so you could like log in and just have like a site. And I was like, all right, I need to keep this momentum, get this thing deployed. <laughs> and uh, within about I don't know, an hour, I had it running remotely. Granted, this was, I have experience doing, like I pretty much copy pasted what Grapevine does. So it's copied the release Docker file, copied the SS, SCP scripts, the release scripts, all that. Um, most of that is public as well. If you wanna, it's on the Grapevine, if you wanna steal for yourself. And then for the server itself, all you have to do is like that one is a $5 instance. I installed uh, Postgres, Nginx, and like CertBot. And the rest is like you don't need anything else. Uh, maybe Image Magic if you're doing photo stuff. And like you just put the tarball on the server, unzip, un untar it, uh, make a service that points at it, and like you're good to go. You're done. Um, and it's running. So it's it's super easy now to get something going. Maybe it's not like your final production system, but it's, it's just something in the wild and like it's working, uh, which is the, the most important part. If this is like a hobby project or whatever. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, in the show notes, there's a link to uh, hello production, which is a blog post about specifically getting a, a minimalist version of a new system into production as soon as possible. That's uh, how they describe it. Uh, just because it, it gives you lots of, lots of fun benefits, which they lay out in the nice blog post. Okay, so I have a question unrelated to deployment, which is, um, what are the what are the more interesting clients that you've seen use Grapevine? Is it all just normal people doing doing what I would consider normal mud, or are there are there people using it for for things unanticipated? Um, so so far, it's just been um, expected stuff. A lot of it is, so I guess the 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 web chat stuff. Um, so some a bit of background or just definition of what that is. So like Grapevine has a WebSocket protocol that is set up so that you can connect as your game server and uh, locally people will chat and then that just gets pushed up to Grapevine and then like rebroadcast out to anyone else on that channel, right? There's docs, you can kind of see what what's going on there. 
So, so far, no one has, has done anything fancy. Uh, it's the, the whole point of it is to be a way to bring a lot of empty games together. So if one person is signed on, uh, the odds that someone else is signed on somewhere else is higher and that they can chat and that they're like, have someone to talk to. And it's not just like a big empty world. Um, so that's the goal of it. So that said, someone last night was actually <laughs> asking about if they could use Grapevine as effectively RabbitMQ or Kafka. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I was I was wondering what the most flagrant abuse of it you've seen is, or that you can imagine. That's a fun one too. Josh, was that you asking that question? <laughs> no, no. But when I when I was reading through the API docs, I thought, I wonder how long it takes till somebody builds a smart fridge that uses something like this. <laughs> So at least right now, I actually just implemented rate limiting. So you could send two messages a second if that's good enough for your Kafka. Maybe this will work for you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then it'll actually disconnect you if you if you try to go too fast. But it's also like meant to be a chat. So someone's supposed to be watching this, right? And like you don't want the chat to go whoosh and like scroll right right past as someone's right. just spamming so stuff. But you're wanting it to be human interactive, not like a bot that's just like yeah. spamming stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I did start brainstorming while, when this person was asking about that because he was like, it would be really cool to use uh, like Grapevine as my internet, interconnect. So he, he's, he was describing, he's got like game servers and then like back-end game servers and front-end game servers. So you would connect to the front-end game server, which is then like that is then like how you get into the world. So what he wanted was a Grapevine in between those things <laughs> uh, so that you could do like, uh, the the world is pushing out, the game servers are pushing out like world state stuff to the front ends. And like if anyone wanted to hook into that, then they could just subscribe to the, like the Grapevine channel and just like, poof, they're part of the world now too. So like it's kind of, got, it's, got, it's got like a cool idea behind it. But I was like, instead of like making something hacky that works with like text chat, I would rather just make like an event system <laughs> that does yeah. the thing that we want. <laughs> Um, and then you're like, have you thought of Elixir? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, I believe, is doing C-sharp stuff. So yeah. it, the, the processes are separate Windows processes. <laughs> A little bit heavier. <laughs> yep. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular Core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. All right, so statistics. So I know you have a metrics section for all the stuff you do around this, I think, uh, but I saw it in Grapevine. Uh, what are the... I know that you gather sort of basic node, uh, I think you use the process collector, uh, so node information. What are some sort of game level metrics that you're that you're gathering? And I assume you're pushing those up with Prometheus because I saw a second port open. Uh, yeah, so the Prometheus stuff, um, 
Okay, so yeah, so I have this the standard Prometheus X or Earl or whatever the thing is. Uh, just dump out normal uh, stats. Um, and then I have a bunch of telemetry events to capture, like someone just registered a game, someone just signed up, someone, uh, all the channel stuff is instrumented. So I have a graph or a, a chart that I can look at to like see activity. Unfortunately, it's been a flat line, so I haven't actually been looking at it. <laughs> so yeah, I also have, uh, I, Previously had some alerting set up for like someone registers a game uh, that went through alert manager. Um, but then I wanted something more real time. So I've added in like kind of an internal alerting stuff. So that I'll get like a custom email um, type of thing. Um, so you can see that. And then I also have some other internal stats for games. So once an hour, I will go ahead and scrape someone's Telnet connection. There's a protocol called uh, MSSP, which is MUD Server Stats Protocol, um, that says how many players are connected uh, in the Telnet stream. So I go ahead and actually save that as a row in Postgres. I don't know how to hook that directly into Prometheus, so I just went with doing my own thing. And then you can, if you like, browse to a game, uh, I'll, I guess I'll link one that has a, a nice chart, but so you can see the, like I put out some pretty, uh, and I think they're fancy, uh, charts where it's like the last 48 hours of players. Um, so you can see the, the people who have connected each hour, uh, and then the last week of players, but it's bundled into four hours and you can see the min, max and average of those. So you can kind of see like w w trending when people are playing, um, and then the time of day for the last week. Uh, so like at 9 a.m. for the last week, this game has had 29 average players. Um, so you can kind of see when <laughs> it's kind of funny. You can like watch when work happens for most of these things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it'll, it'll like dip from like uh, 9 to like 5 p.m. Um, and then like spike up <laughs> afterwards. Funny. And what are you using to gather the, the data to produce the charts? Uh, so that is, uh, it's just, it's just storing a record in Postgres. So there's just a, yeah, I don't know. It's just a, a, a new table. That's like a, ah, that's, yeah, that's the one that you, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So nothing fancy there. I, I don't know. I know Prometheus has some warnings around, uh, inserting stuff that is unbounded. Um, so that's primarily why I've avoided it because I don't know how many games there will be. So I don't necessarily want to start outputting stats to it as like a counter or whatever, because it'll just get scraped along with everything else. And I'll have a 15 second resolution on an hourly updated thing. Um, I guess it probably does something fancy if nothing changes, but yeah, so it, it's possibly unbounded. So that, that could be an issue each. The reason that's an issue is that each time record series, whatever you do. So that each label you have, so this would be like a different label for the game ID, like the current count or whatever each label you have creates a different time series, which then like explodes the, the amount of data it has to store. Um, so that was primarily why I went with uh, storing it locally in just Postgres. And I mean, even I have, I don't know, I have some tens of thousands to a, a low hundreds of thousands of events and Postgres is still like super snappy. So like I'm a bit too worried. Yeah. So I did want to mention in case anyone else out there is thinking about using telemetry because one of our recent interviews was talking about telemetry uh, with Arik, uh, who is the author of the uh, Beam uh, telemetry project. And 
one of the things that I think is beneficial is like when I met Eric at a ElixirConf last year, uh, it was looking at his project, his open source project, where I saw how to do Prometheus metrics and just looking at the updated version uh, in Grapevine using the, the Beam telemetry project and attaching to the event notifications. And so if anyone wants to see how can I do that for my own project, I would definitely let you direct you to check that out. Uh, drop a link to the location in the source tree. It's under the metrics where you can just kind of see how things get attached. And then you can search the code for where those events get kind of fired. Uh, but something like that is super helpful if you're wanting to instrument your own application and just try and figure out like, how do I do this? What does it actually look like when it's set up? So plus one for that. All right, so I think we've covered all of the all of the ground that there is to cover. Do we want to move on to picks? All right, I'll go first. I have a, I have two picks. Uh, the first is the Radiohead Glastonbury Festival. So it's just this YouTube video. It's an hour and a half uh, concert that Radiohead did, and it's it's amazing, and I just enjoyed it. So let me copy that. And then the other is just generically, uh, all three of us use Linux on the desktop and uh, it's, it's really good. And I wanted to give it a shout out because it turns out that Linux is a fantastic operating system. And I think a lot of people still think of it as uh, how it was in 2000 or so. Uh, consequently, there's this nice article, uh, Apple of 2019 is Linux of 2000 with such gems as, let me grab the, Oh yeah, so like in a, a Linux laptop of 2000, you couldn't get with more than two USB ports and also Apple laptops of 2019. Anyway, so those are my picks. Nice. Uh, so my pick today is, so there's a comic, a web comic called The Oatmeal, and he had a section on running. So I know a lot of people I've run into in the tech community enjoy running as a uh, form of exercise, hobby, uh, stress reliever, whatever it is. And this comic I just found quite hilarious. Uh, he's just, it's like a six part thing. He talks about training for marathons and, and you know, running, but it's, it's done in a totally humorous way. Like, you know, if you're a runner, people think you're healthy in everything uh, and that's not the case. And it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they have my favorite tofu here. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not how it is, you know? So his motivation for running is so he can eat whatever he wants. And so it's just, it's a great comic. So if you're into running, I'd encourage you to check that out. Eric. All right. So I'll do a technical and then a non-technical one. So my, my GitHub is full of, of, I don't know, different projects I've started. If you want to check that out, but specifically I'll pull out uh, something called squabble. Uh, so this was the, the raft implementation that only deals with leader selection. So you can have a, this is what Xventure uses to pick a world leader to boot the world. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of cool. If nothing else to just check out and like see what's going on there. And then my second one, um, I've been, I don't know, just kind of a, so like going with the running thing, just doing something that's non-technical. Um, I've been playing the violin for the last, I don't know, five or so years. So I started as an adult and it's been kind of cool to, to like slowly work through that and, and like stretch different parts of your brain that aren't uh, like technical things um, and whatnot. And I, I just started the, the cello uh, more recently and, and just kind of, I know it's a cool, cool to, to do something that's, that's non-tech and you get as a, as a bonus, you get to listen to, to cool classical music, right? Awesome. Well, Eric, thanks for taking some time to give us an update on what you've been working on. And if people would like to follow you or connect with you online, where should they go to do that? Uh, yeah, so you can go to uh, 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Eric Ostrich. Grapevine is at grapevine.house. That's the German spelling. So that's H-A-U-S. And that should has a contact me there and, and all that fun stuff. Um, and then my GitHub is Ostrich. So that's how you can find all the source of this. All right. We will have the links to those in the show notes. Check those out. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.